0: Section eleven of the Elements of Geology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bologna Times. The Elements of Geology by William Harmon Norton. Chapter six The Work of the Wind. We are now to study the geological work of the currents of the atmosphere and to learn how they erode and transport and deposit waste as they sweep over the land. Illustrations of the wind's work are at hand in dry weather on any windy day. Clouds of dust are raised from the street and driven along by the gale. Here the roadway is swept bare, and there in sheltered places the dust settles in little wind rows the erosive power of the waste-laden currents of air is suggested as the sharp grains of flying sand sting one's face or clatter against the window in the country one sometimes sees the dust whirled in clouds from dry ploughed fields in spring and left in the lee of fences in small drifts resembling in form those of snow in winter the essential conditions for the wind's conspicuous work, are illustrated in these simple examples. They are aridity and the absence of vegetation. In humid climates, these conditions are only rarely and locally met. For the most part, a thick growth of vegetation protects the moist soil from the wind, with a cover of leaves and stems, and a mattress of interlacing roots. But in arid regions, either vegetation is wholly lacking or scant growths are found huddled in detached clumps leaving interspaces of unprotected ground here too the mantle of waste which is formed chiefly under the action of temperature changes remains dry and loose for long periods little or no moisture is present to cause its particles to cohere and they are therefore readily lifted and drifted by the wind TRANSPORTATION BY THE WIND. In the desert, the finer waste is continually swept to and fro by the ever-shifting wind. Even in quiet weather, the air heated by contact with the hot sands rises in whirls, and the dust is lifted in stately columns, sometimes as much as one thousand feet in height, which march slowly across the plain. In storms, the sand is driven along the ground in a continuous sheet, while the air is tilled with dust. Explorers tell of sandstorms in the deserts of Central Asia and Africa, in which the air grows murky and suffocating. Even at midday it may become dark as night, and nothing can be heard except the roar of the blast and the whir of myriads of grains of sand as they fly past the ear, sandstorms are by no means uncommon in the arid regions of the western united states in a recent year six were reported from yuma arizona trains on transcontinental railways are occasionally blockaded by drifting sand and the dust sifts into closed passenger coaches covering the seats and floors after such a storm Thirteen carloads of sand were removed from the platform of a station on a western railway. Dust Falls Dust launched by upward whirling winds on the swift currents of the upper air is often blown for hundreds of miles beyond the arid region from which it was taken. Dust falls from western storms are not unknown, even as far east as the Great Lakes. In 1896, a black snow fell in Chicago, and in another dust storm in the same decade, the amount of dust carried in the air over Rock Island, Illinois, was estimated at more than 1,000 tons to the cubic mile. In March 1901, a cyclonic storm carried vast quantities of dust from the Sahara northward across the Mediterranean to fall over southern and central Europe on march eighth dust storms raged in southern algeria two days later the dust fell in italy and on the eleventh it had reached central germany and denmark it is estimated that in these few days one million eight hundred thousand tons of waste were carried from northern africa and deposited on european soil We may see from these examples the importance of the wind as an agent of transportation, and how vast in the aggregate are the loads which it carries. There are striking differences between air and water as carriers of waste. Rivers flow in fixed and narrow channels to definite goals. The channelless streams of the air sweep across broad areas, and, shifting about continually, carry their loads back and forth, now in one direction, and now in another. Wind Deposits The mantle of waste of deserts is rapidly sorted by the wind. The coarser rubbish, too heavy to be lifted into the air, is left to strew wide tracks with residual gravels. The sand derived from the disintegration of desert rocks gathers in vast fields, about one-eighth of the surface of the sahara is said to be thus covered with drifting sand in desert mountains as those of sinai it lies like fields of snow in the high valleys below the sharp peaks on more level tracks it accumulates in seas of sand sometimes as in the deserts of arabia two hundred and more feet deep dunes The sand thus accumulated by the wind is heaped in wave-like hills called dunes. In the desert of northwestern India, where the prevalent wind is of great strength, the sand is laid in longitudinal dunes, i.e. in stripes running parallel with the direction of the wind. But commonly dunes lie, like ripple marks, transverse to the wind current. On the windward side they show a long gentle slope, up which grains of sand can readily be moved, while to the lee their slope is frequently as great as the angle of repose. Dunes whose sands are not fixed by vegetation travel slowly with the wind, for their material is ever shifted forward, as the grains are driven up the windward slope and, falling over the crust, are deposited in slanting layers in the quiet of the lee. Like river deposits, wind-blown sands are stratified, since they are laid by currents of air, varying in intensity, and therefore in transporting power, which carry now finer and now coarser materials, and lay them down where their velocity is checked. Since the wind varies in direction, the strata dip in various directions they also dip at various angles according to the inclination of the surface on which they were laid dunes occur not only in arid regions but also wherever loose sand lies unprotected by vegetation from the wind from the beaches of sea and lake shores the wind drives inland the surface sand left dry between tides and after storms piling it in dunes, which may invade forests and fields and bury villages beneath their slowly advancing waves. On floodplains, during summer droughts, river deposits are often worked over by the wind. The sand is heaped in hummocks, and much of the fine silt is caught and held by the forests and grassy fields of the bordering hills. The sand of shore dunes differs little in composition and the shape of its grains from that of the beach from which it was derived but in deserts by the long wear of grain on grain as they are blown hither and thither by the wind all soft minerals are ground to powder and the sand comes to consist almost wholly of smooth round grams of hard quartz some marine sandstones such as the st peter sandstone of the upper mississippi valley are composed so entirely of polished spherules of quartz that it has been believed by some that their grains were long blown about in ancient deserts before they were deposited in the sea dust deposits as desert sands are composed almost wholly of quartz we may ask what has become of the softer minerals of which the rocks whose disintegration has supplied the sand were in part and often in large part composed the softer minerals have been ground to powder and little by little the quartz sand also is worn by attrition to fine dust yet dust deposits are scant and few in great deserts such as the sahara The finer waste is blown beyond its limits and laid in adjacent oceans, where it adds to the muds and oozes of their floors, and on bordering steppes and forest lands, where it is bound fast by vegetation and slowly accumulates in deposits of unstratified loose yellow earth. The fine waste of the Sahara has been identified in dredgings from the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean taken hundreds of miles from the coast of africa loess in northern china an area as large as france is deeply covered with a yellow pulverulent earth called loess german loess which many consider a dust deposit blown from the great mongolian desert lying to the west loess mantles the recently uplifted mountains to the height of 8000 feet and descends on the plains nearly to sea level its texture and lack of stratification give it a vertical cleavage hence it stands in steep cliffs on the sides of the deep and narrow trenches which have been cut in it by streams on lots hillsides in china are thousands of villages whose eve-like dwellings have been excavated in this soft yet firm dry loam. While dustfalls are common at the present time in this region, the Los is now being rapidly denuded by streams, and its yellow silt gives name to the muddy Huang Ho, Yellow River, and to the Yellow Sea, whose waters it discolours for scores of miles from shore wind deposits both of dust and of sand may be expected to contain the remains of land shells bits of wood and bones of land animals testifying to the fact that they were accumulated in open air and not in the sea or in bodies of fresh water wind erosion sand laden currents of air abrade and smooth and polish exposed rock surfaces Acting in much the same way as does the jet of steam fed with sharp sand, which is used in the manufacture of ground glass. Indeed, in a single storm at Cape Cod, a plate glass of a lighthouse was so ground by flying sand that its transparency was destroyed and its removal made necessary. Telegraph poles and wires wetted by wind blown sands are destroyed within a few years. In rocks of unequal resistance, the harder parts are left in relief, while the softer are etched away. Thus, in the pass of San Bernardino, California, through which strong winds stream from the west, crystals of garnet are left projecting on delicate rock fingers from the softer rock in which they were embedded. When carved pebbles are characteristically planed, the facets meeting along a summit ridge, or at a point like that of a pyramid. We may suppose that these facets were ground by prevalent winds from certain directions, or that from time to time the stone was undermined, and rolled over as the sand beneath it was blown away on the windward side, thus exposing fresh surfaces to the driving sand." Such wind-carved pebbles are sometimes found in ancient rocks, and may be accepted as evidence that the sands of which the rocks are composed were blown about by the wind. Deflation. In the denudation of an arid region, wind erosion is comparatively ineffective, as compared with deflation. Latin, d de, from, flare, to blow. A term by which is meant the constant removal of waste by the wind, leaving the rocks bare to the continuous attack of the weather. In moist climates, denudation is continually impeded by the mantle of waste and its cover of vegetation, and the land surface can be lowered no faster than the waste is removed by running water. Deep residual soils come to protect all regions of moderate slope, Concealing from view the rock structure and the various forms of the land are due more to the agencies of erosion and transportation than to differences in the resistance of the underlying rocks. But in arid regions the mantle is rapidly removed, even from well nigh level plains and plateaus, by the sweep of the wind and the wash of occasional rains the geological structure of these regions of naked rock can be read as far as the eye can see and it is to this structure that the forms of the land are there largely due in a land mass of horizontal strata for example any softer surface rocks wear down to some underlying resistant stratum and this for a while forms the surface of a level plateau the edges of the capping layer together with those of any softer layers beneath it, wear back in steep cliffs, dissected by the valleys of wet-weather streams, and often swept bare to the base by the wind. As they are little protected by talus, which commonly is removed about as fast as formed, these escarpments and the walls of the valleys retreat indefinitely, exposing some hard stratum beneath which forms the floor of a widening terrace. The high plateaus of northern Arizona and southern Utah, north of the Grand Canyon of the Colorado River, are composed of stratified rocks more than 10,000 feet thick, and of very gentle inclination northward. From the broad platform in which the canyon has been cut rises a series of gigantic stairs, which are often more than 1,000 feet high, and a score or more of miles in breadth The retreating escarpments, the cliffs of the mesas and buttes, which they have left behind as outliers, and the walls of the ravines, are carved into noble architectural forms, into cathedrals, pyramids, amphitheaters, towers, arches, and colonnades, by the processes of weathering aided by deflation. It is thus by the help of the action of the wind that great plateaus in arid regions are dissected and at last are smoothed away to waterless plains, either composed of naked rock or strewed with residual gravels or covered with drifting residual sand. The specific gravity of air is one eight hundred and twenty third that of water. How does this fact affect the weight of the material which? each can carry at the same velocity. If the rainfall should lessen in your own state to from five to ten inches a year, what changes would take place in the vegetation of the country, in the soil, in the streams, in the erosion of valleys, in the agencies chiefly at work in denuding the land? In what way can a wind-carved pebble be distinguished from a river-worn pebble, from... A glaciated pebble. End of section eleven, chapter six, the work of the wind.